What's up, everybody? This is Derek Kirby back with another Mavs live stream here. How's everybody doing? How are we doing here? Are we feeling good today? Yesterday was Mavs Media Day, and we have some interesting, some interesting takeaways, right? It's a new regime, so we have new opinions to get. This isn't the last 12 years where we've kind of heard similar thoughts, if you will, from Rick Carlisle and how they're going to approach, uh, how they're going to approach the upcoming season. This is, it remains to be seen, but this is new ground here with Jason Kidd as the head coach. And there were a lot of questions, whether that was how, how do you feel obviously about the team moving forward? Again, it's a new coach. So that perspective is important. And how are they going to utilize Kristaps Porzingis? How do they feel about him coming in? In what ways are they going to use him? Where are they going to play him? Different things like that matter in evaluating this team. Now, as you see from the thumbnail, this is a very interesting setup as well. These two pictures of Luka Doncic taken from Media Day last year, that being the one on the left, and on the right is this year's photo here. We have certainly looks like a more in-shape focused Luka Doncic than we had last year. Now, last year, the messy hair, not really doing him many favors. But, you know, even Luka himself said he didn't come in last year in his premium shape, which was something that we were critical of. I was critical of as well. It took him a while to get going in the season. And that's why through the first month last year, his three-point percentage, for instance, was really, really rough. And then as he worked his way into shape, he got better and started playing more like the Luka Doncic we anticipated seeing. Playing in the Olympics this year with Slovenia, aside from two weeks that he acknowledges taking off, that's when you had the whole Luka Doncic thing, which was blown out of proportion anyway because you have all these other fan bases who are so starved and desperate for their players to be seen in the same light as Luka that they're trying to say like, oh no, look, our dude's in the gym working out. And uh, Jason Tatum, for instance, was one like, oh, look at him. Look, look how buff he looks in the gym. And then meanwhile, look at the photo we got of Luca this this week. Luca smoking hookah. All right, cool. And you go a week further into the future, you have a Instagram photo of Tatum floating in a pool and Luka Doncic working in the gym. And he's as lean as he's ever been. Like, it's so reactionary and pointless. I don't even like getting into all that garbage. But because he played for Slovenia and because he only took a couple weeks off to kind of get his mind revitalized and refocused, you have a much, it looks, healthier and more in shape Luka Doncic ready to go for the 2021-2022 season. And that is very good news for the Dallas Mavericks and very bad news for anybody else in the league because if Luka Doncic comes out firing early on on all cylinders or damn near all cylinders Dallas is going to get off to a quick start and it's not going to be like last year where they fell off now granted that was health and safety protocols where they fell off had that brutal stretch of like 18 games where they went something like 4 and 14 and then had to dig their way out for a while. Eventually they got over it and they got all the way to the 5 seed, which is great. But you need to take into account if they if they don't have that struggle earlier on, they don't draw the Clippers. And that's, you know, say what you want about how 
they pushed him to six last year and then or two years ago and then seven last year and how great Luca individual individually was. That's great, but the Clippers were still a tough draw matchup. It took Luca playing at that obscene level for them to get to six and then to get to seven. So if you're able to not have that four and fourteen stretch, you might have avoided that draw altogether and gotten a more favorable matchup. That's why it's important to start early. You can't win a division or you know really stake a claim to a playoff seating in the first month or two of the season, but you could damn sure lose it, and that's kind of what happened last year. Granted, through means that were out of their control. What's also interesting here is Jason Kidd talking about Kristaps Porzingis, the much maligned Kristaps Porzingis. Where does he fit in this offense? How is he going to be utilized by the Mavericks here? Well, Jason Kidd answering that question for Kevin Gray Jr., specifically talking about what they're going to try and do with KP moving forward. This is, uh, this is a quote from Jason Kidd here asked on the question by Kevin Gray Jr., Quote, we want him to be himself. There is no pressure. He just has to be a basketball player and rely on his strengths. I really believe he's going to have a great year. They elaborated on that a bit by saying they are going to play KP at the four, which he has routinely expressed his preference for. That's, that's interesting because that tells you, okay, if he's your four, that means probably Dwight Powell is still your starting center, which I don't love. But okay, so you have Luka, probably Hardaway, Bullock, KP, Dwight. Is that what we're thinking? Or are you bringing Dorian off? Or are you bringing Bullock off the bench and having Dorian as your starter? I don't know exactly what they're going to do, but you kind of get a better sense for it looking at looking at KP at the four. Like that kind of helps you envision the rest of the lineup for the most part. So that's interesting. I think that is a, a better position for KP to play in. They also said that they that they anticipate playing KP uh, more in the post, letting him post up more, which is something that towards the end of Carlisle's stint, and as he utilized KP, basically completely phased out almost entirely. And that is something KP can do reasonably. Now, he he's acknowledged in this, and KP talking about his offseason – not just, hey, it's a healthy offseason and I actually had a chance to not just be rehabbing an injury or trying to get into shape, but specifically working on my game. More than that, he said he feels like he really found a good balance between strength training and staying uh, lean and dynamic. He said, if you recall, in his first year actually playing for Dallas, when he put on a lot of muscle before the season, he said... He struggled, if you recall, that year until they hit about January. Then he got going, and then he was great through the bubble until his injury. He was thicker in the start of the year. And then after the restart, granted his turnaround started before the restart, once they went into the bubble, he wasn't quite as muscular as he had been because they had had, I don't remember how many weeks it was, off. Basically, I think two months off uh, from, from the season. And so he was leaner at that point, and, um, and he was better in the bubble. That, that was the peak form of KP we've seen offensively with the Mavericks. Really, I'd say a total package with the Mavericks. And he said after the fact, 
You know, early in the year, I was so focused on putting on a bunch of muscle, it really affected my mobility and my, you know, even just shooting the ball didn't feel as natural or smooth to me because I'm not used to carrying that much weight. So he'd slimmed down a little bit before the bubble, and it was kind of like he reached that perfect level where everything was in harmony, and until he tore his meniscus, he was as effective as we've arguably ever seen in his career. And that's great. But the problem is he couldn't get back to that form by the next year. And, you know, this was still a 2010 average year for him. That's good. But there's no doubt by the defensively, he was wretched early in the year. And then by the end of the year, his offense had fallen off too, where he just didn't. He basically, there's there's no sugarcoating it. He was a seven foot three, three point shooting decoy. And while he's a capable three-point shooter, he's not an elite three-point shooter. He should not be just used there to try and space the floor. Conversely, and KP acknowledged this as well, not only did he feel like he found the balance this offseason of strength training versus maintaining that mobility and uh, flexibility and all of that, but he does not intend to clog up the lane for Luca, who's going to try and drive into the paint and kick out to open shooters or finish around the rim like he is so good at doing. Luca scoring around the basket, shoots at about 70% the last couple of years. Just stupid efficient in that area. So KP acknowledges, you know, hey, while posting up is going to help me and I think get me some better looks, I'm not just going to do that. I'm not going to clog up the lane and make life more difficult for Luca because I understand a major component of our offense is him being able to penetrate, utilizing the open space, and create for our team. But Kid says, and this could be a subtle dig kind of at Carlisle, he basically specifically points out, we're not just going to have him doing nothing but shooting threes. We're not just going to have him stand out on the three-point line. We're going to put KP in different positions, in different places on the floor, whether it's the post, whether it's the high post, we're going to move him around and let him basically basically operate in different spaces. And that's that's so key. And that's one of those things I feel like Jason Kidd would be a great asset for because he played with Dirk. He understood how, and it wasn't just Dirk that he did this for and, and understood this for. In general, he knew how to get guys the ball, where they want it, when they want it, how they want it. That is the kind of thing that he can impart to this team. And I think Luca has a pretty good feel for that. Obviously, he knows how to get guys wide open looks. But it's one of those things where I think Kid can kind of help that process a little bit more. And putting other guys, specifically a guy as crucial to this whole operation as Porzingis, especially since Dallas did not bring in another star to become the new number two, it really is important that you get KP in the best situations to produce. He's not just, they might have used him this way last year, but he is not just a role player. He, he can't be. If he is just a role player for you, you have royally messed up everything from your salary cap to your on-court product. That, that is the most crucial thing to consider. You can't have a guy who still has $100 million left on his existing deal, be just a seven foot three corner three-point shooter. Like, you, you can't. And I think Kid understands that. And KP reportedly says, 
uh, well, he not reportedly, he said it in the in the media days. He was asked about it. We saw, as I talked about previously, he had demanded or rather voiced a desire for, if you want to put it that way, to be traded after the playoff series this year against the Clippers. Obviously, that was not followed through on. I think Dallas understood, hey, we're going to be undergoing some changes anyway. We know that it would be incredibly difficult to trade your contract, which still has three years and $100 million left guaranteed. It'd be difficult to move you, and especially with how you've been performing, even if that's our own fault largely or in a good part, then we're getting a bag of beans, maybe not even the bag with the beans. Or just an empty bag, whichever sounds worse to you. That's what they would have been getting in return. So I think they didn't really have a true desire. They might have like, eh, we'll kick the tires, we'll ask around, but we're not really shopping you. And so I think that's how they got to the situation where they're like, look, if it's if it's line in the sand, KP or Carlisle, well, Carlisle might not be working out anyway because, yeah, we haven't won a playoff series since the 2011 finals. We're 0-5 since then in the first round lost to the let me see if i can recap this lost to the thunder lost to you know what yeah lost to the thunder lost to the spurs lost to the rockets lost to the clippers twice that's been the playoffs for dallas since the title and they've pushed the clippers to seven they've pushed the spurs to seven they pushed the clippers to six they pushed the Rockets only to five, and they got swept by the Thunder back then as well. There was another time as well in there that I forgot where they faced the Thunder again, and they did win a game. But their immediate defense of their title in 2012, they made the playoffs, got swept by the Thunder, and then there was another series in Durant's last year in Oklahoma City where they actually did win a game, so they lost in five. So six straight first-round exits for Dallas. And given the the uncertainty and the unbalance in his relationship with Luca, their inability to connect and see eye to eye often enough, I think the line was just pretty clear in the sand that like, look, our future is staked. Obviously, Luca is the franchise, the face of the franchise at this point. You don't lose him for anything if you can help it. And KP is vital to where we are. We're kind of we're in marriage counseling is how I view this for the Mavericks and Porzingis. And I think they saw that and they said, you know what? We need to go a different direction. And so Carlisle not being willing to fully perhaps abide or submit to these changes they were wanting, just decide, you know what? I'm just going to leave. I'm just going to resign. And that was that. So with that being the case, KP has expressed that, yeah, I'm not seeking a trade anymore. I do feel like it's a fresh start. And what's interesting to me is it's not just, not just KP saying this. It's not just KP saying, it feels like a breath of fresh air. Tim Hardaway Jr. said the same thing. That's interesting to me because while you could say, yeah, I understand why KP wouldn't like Carlisle and why why he might with so much to prove in trying to kind of say like, hey, look, I know last year was bad, but don't don't fully append that to me. There were other problems that don't get discussed enough. While he might have that motive to say that, you wouldn't expect that from Tim Hardaway Jr., who's known KP obviously years and years playing back with him at the in the Knicks, came over in that same trade. 
you wouldn't anticipate Hardaway, who his last couple years with Dallas in particular, have been the best two years of his career. And yet he's also talking about how there's a more fresh vibe around the around the team now and in the locker room and things like that. Like, that's really interesting to me. Uh, Hardaway went on to elaborate, saying he's never seen a more focused Porzingis than he is seeing right now entering this season. Again, that is, I think that speaks volumes, volumes to the the difference in the vibe around the team right now. And a lot of that does come from the top. We talked about how I, I think Carlisle, in terms of basketball knowledge and X's and O's and stuff like that, I think he is a good coach. Even still, I think he's a good coach. I just think the culture shifted. And maybe it could be a little bit in part just that he's overstayed. If he, if he had a, a more veteran team, then maybe it could work out. Or if he was sent in somewhere to try and clean up the culture of, uh, of a team that's a little more lax, Maybe he could kind of whip them into a better discipline and things like that. But it wasn't the right guy anymore for what Dallas needed. And I think that was really the breaking point, the point at which they could not make it work any longer. Let me see here. I'm just looking through my notes on that. One thing Luka Doncic talked about as well was wanting to be more vocal this year. Says he took that away from the Olympic experience that he had, that he needs to be more vocal with his team, with his teammates. We've seen, and it's been one of the big criticisms of Luca, is that, yes, he wears his emotions on his sleeve, but at times, as the leader, he kind of loses that, that uh, loses the plot a little bit. Rather than trying to rally his team in as often as he should, he can get wrapped up in what's happening to him personally in that moment. Whether it's uh, driving to the lane and getting clobbered without getting a foul call, whether it's the referee missing some other call or something about a, a turnover or whatever, it gets in his head and it can, for little stretches, throw him out, throw him off his game where it's like, Hey, it's one thing if it it's bad enough if it just affects the next play, right? But if it's carrying over for two or three plays and he's still barking, barking at the official, then it's a problem because it's officially impacting the game and throwing everything out of whack. You can't have that. And he seemed to express, he understands, I need to be more vocal and communicate better with my teammates. And that could be ranged to a multitude of things, right? Like, some of the criticisms that we've heard, some of the rumors and murmurs and things we've heard around this team is part of why him and Porzingis don't have a better relationship is because Luca treats all of his teammates equal, which you look at that on the surface and you say, well, what's wrong with that? Well, the problem is Porzingis, when he was acquired by Dallas, thought, all right, at worst, I'm going to be 1A. Oh, I'm 2? Okay. I guess I can deal with that. I can do what's best for the team. And yet he's not treated, whether it's how he's featured in the offense or how even his uh, his franchise player, the number one option, kind of treats him in relation to the other guys on the team. He doesn't look to feed KP and put KP in positions to succeed. 
and what I mean by that is at a higher rate than the other guys. You have your key focuses, your guys who are essential to get going in every game. That's Luca, that's KP, that's Hardaway, I would say. You have to get those three guys, or maybe if it's not Hardaway as the third, you got to find another one. You need really three guys clicking in any given game. And your first two are essentially non-negotiables. That's why they are your one and two. Luca, one thing he's been criticized for is not really putting the emphasis on getting KP specifically going, saying like, all right, I'm getting what I want, and that's great, but let me set up KP now. Let me get him going. Let, let me direct traffic and kind of move him into a position where I can get him the ball in his preferred zones so he can make something happen. That's something that's been missing a little bit, and so maybe that's as well what Luca is uh, referring to, kind of understanding how to communicate a little bit with some of these teammates how to kind of vary his approach a little bit where it's like, hey, it's good to treat all of them with respect and things like that, but you also have to understand there is nuance to it. If you recall, one of the criticisms I addressed regarding Jason Kidd was he basically, he treats everybody with the same broad brush. He doesn't change any nuance as a coach to, okay, I coach this guy this way, this guy, though, doesn't respond as well to that, so I need to change my approach. Kid didn't do that. It was all just, when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. That was his approach. Just keep clanging and banging away with the hammer, and they would have to reshape or yield in some way to what you needed. And the same can be said here with Luca's approach uh, to communicating with his teammates, I think. I think you can say... And by the way, this is not intended to sound like a criticism. This is just my my uh, analysis, my opinion, based on everything that we've seen and heard. You can't just have one broad approach for the whole team. Different guys respond in different ways. And with the vital nature of KP to the offense and what you need of him, you really need to put a greater emphasis on that, not just in getting him going, but in viewing him more as, as an essential piece. You can't look at Dorian Finney-Smith and KP and say, like, yep, equal. It's not quite the same. That's all I'm trying to say. You have to understand that, like, there's a greater emphasis and need on that front. So, interesting there, Luca addressing the need to be more vocal. Jason Kidd also addressed... Uh, the fact that he says, and I'm surprised they circled back to this because you heard it in the exit interviews, right? You heard the criticism of, hey, Luca needs to trust his teammates more. And then you had the whole regime change, Donnie Nelson gone, and he was really the one leading that criticism. And then you had uh, Rick Carlisle leave, and you're like, oh, okay. The guys who were really leading the Luca needs to learn to trust his teammates and not try to do everything himself crowd have kind of gone away. Interesting. And you didn't hear that criticism for a while. But they came back in media day. Very subdued, mind you. But Jason Kidd did say, I view Luca as a young Picasso. And no, that is not, that is not uh, me riffing there. That is actually what he said. I don't fully understand what he's saying. I, I guess he's trying to say like a brilliant artist of sorts. 
but a weird analogy all the same. He views him as a young Picasso, but he does think that the next part of his evolution is going to be learning to trust his teammates a little bit more. And that last part's a little bit of a paraphrase, but the phrase was used where it's not a reach to be like, oh, well, maybe he was trying to get at this. Like, no, he basically echoed the kind of stuff we were hearing before and then that we weren't hearing around the time of Kidd's introductory press conference, around the time of Luca's uh, max contract signing and all of that. We didn't hear any of that then. We're hearing it again now. Granted, in small dose, and I think that's important, rather than continuing to hammer away at it like Donnie Nelson was, because he didn't just say it at the exit interviews. He was on the radio in uh, in Dallas, 105.3 The Fan, and continuing to harp away on that. That was the problem. Like, not just saying it, but then doubling down, tripling down, quadrupling down. And I think they kind of saw the backlash that came from that, and so they kind of eased up a little bit, waited for everything, and then they're like, all right, now we're about to kick off the season. Yeah, uh, we still want him to get better in that area. And it's a weird, it's a weird dynamic. I get it, right? Luca shot, I think, I don't remember what his three-point percentage was in that game seven, but I want to say it was something like six of 15 on threes, and the rest of his teammates combined shot five of 25 from three. And that's why they lost. It wasn't just, hey, Luca had 46 points. Oh, he's clearly hunting his own shot. Dude, he set up teammates for like 20 made threes that they just didn't make. Like, he put them in position to do that, and they didn't do that. How are you going to say that? How are you going to say the guy posts a triple-double with like 14 assists, could have had like 25 assists, and then turn around and say, oh, yeah, he's, he's being too selfish. I think the heart of it isn't that he doesn't pass, isn't anything like that. We know he does. I think it's understanding and trusting in certain moments to get teammates the ball in positions where they can win. That doesn't mean that he doesn't take the big shot or whatever. Obviously, he does. Obviously, that's his thing. That was Dirk's thing before. You needed a bucket, you went to the guy. You needed a game-winning shot, you went to the guy. Luka is the guy. But you have to also understand you need to get your teammates in the position for them to be most effective and to do that. Kid obviously understood how to do that with Dirk all throughout their years playing together. And I think that's maybe the next little step for Luca is kind of understanding how to get KP where he needs the ball, how to set up guys in their optimal positions, not just, hey, stand out there on the three-point line, move to the open space, and trust me, if you're open, I will find you. Not just that, but understanding like, oh, okay, so these are your areas where you're most effective, and in these situations, all right, I'm going to set up a play and run it to get you that exact look. And then I'm going to give you a pinpoint pass so that you don't have to do anything. Just catch and shoot. Or if, if, you were, if you're going to make a move, whether, you know, kid to Dirk, Dirk would make some kind of move into the fadeaway or kind of spin and go towards the basket, whatever. Make your move, but I'm going to get you the ball where you want it, when you need it. Not just say, here's a driving kick for you to take a three. So, with that being said, uh, it, it's interesting kind of evaluating this. Now, there were people as well saying some key players for the Mavericks weren't there. And when I say key players, I mean key in the sense that it's notable they weren't seeing them. They were there. But Moses Brown, uh, he was there, but he was not talk, He did not talk with the, the media. Uh, Tyrell Terry... 
Josh Green. People were kind of wondering about that because even Frank Natilikina spoke a little bit. And he just got here. So that's a weird one. I, I guess the notoriety is maybe what did that for him. Just because especially here, people know how he's linked to Dennis and all of that. But uh, Jason Kidd on Frank Natilikina specifically said, you're talking about a young man who's long... That's an awkward phrasing. A young man who's long, who knows how to play the game, and hopefully who can develop... Hopefully we can develop him to be one of the pieces that could come off the bench and maybe start at some point. That's optimistic, I would say, especially, you know, I, I think Natilikina, I, I think it's worth kicking the tires on, and I think Dallas actually got a really good deal on him. The fact that it's a two-year deal with a team option in year two, and we're talking veteran minimum stuff, yeah, yeah, I'll kick the tires for that. I think he's certainly got a higher ceiling than he was ever allowed to show in New York. So from that standpoint, I love the move. But to, to kind of say, you know, hey maybe even start at some point. Maybe if you're looking at it in terms of Eric Lee, come on, man. <laughs> maybe if you're looking at it uh, from the standpoint of spot duty, right? Like, let's say, God forbid, if you had a situation where health and safety protocols just put the team in a bind like it did early last year. Okay, can we depend on him as a starter in spot duty for that? If so, okay, I'm, I'm fine with that. You, obviously, you might not have much alternative, but you want him to be capable in that role, not just doing it to do it because you have no choice, but you want him to be capable. That's fine. I think that's fine. But I think other than that, he probably needs to be a middle-of-the-rotation kind of guy because what he brings has value, but I think it's going to take some time, as Kid even referenced, to develop him. He needs a little time. He's a capable player with a lot of great intangible tools, but he has not been able to put it all together in the NBA yet, and the Knicks are not the team to develop you. Julius Randle broke out well before he got to New York. Now, has he ascended further? Yes, but he was great in New Orleans. I mean, really only his L.A. years were eh. He went to New Orleans, was sensational for, what, a year and a half, two years? Still blows my mind Dallas refused at any point to look at him. But it's intriguing. It's intriguing to consider uh, what you could have now, because I think Kid could develop some of these guys. And having a point guard like Luka certainly helps. But yes, those were my general takeaways from Mavs Media Day yesterday. I think the team is... I think they're going to be good. I do. While I acknowledge they did not have the free agency bonanza that we said they needed, and I was very harsh about that. I, I was vocal the entire... Anytime I referenced in the last year, this offseason and this free agency we just had, I said Dallas needed a home run. I, I said, if you're not going to give me another star, like a number two or at least a number three, you have to at least give me multiple moves that make a lot of sense, where the sum of those parts are bigger than the big splash a single signing might have done. Are the sum of the parts being Reggie Bullock, Sterling Brown? Um, you know, obviously we know what the Luka extension is. That goes without saying. But Tim Hardaway Jr., bringing him back. Are, are the sums of these moves, Frank Natilikina now you can add in there, are they bigger 
than if you had made one key acquisition? Honestly, I don't know right now. I'm leaning towards no, but I'm willing to say, all things considered, if KP stays any degree of healthy and steps up to be that number two scorer we saw from January of his first season playing with the Mavericks until he got hurt in the bubble, if he can find that form he had again and be consistent, a lot of these problems are going to take care of themselves. If you got Luka and KP dialed in and producing, you're going to be able to beat anybody. And I've said that for two years. The problem is we've not had KP upholding that into the bargain. So Luka, in shape, ready to go, looking mid-season form already. KP, if he can step up and actually be put in situations to succeed instead of being used as a $153, $158 million decoy or just role player then you're going to you're going to achieve a lot just on that basis that's why i'm still optimistic i think luca has yet another gear he can click into another step forward he can take eventually you're going to run out of those next steps to take because you're already talking about a guy that's in the top five probably in the league but i still think i think didn't he rank number four in ESPN's top 100, or was it ESPN? I know people were freaking out because uh, Steph Curry was one behind him, and you have some doofuses on Twitter insisting that Curry is the most disrespected player in the history of the NBA because in a given year, ESPN, in a non-scientific breakdown, had Luka ranked one spot better than him. Like, woohoo! Hang your hat on that. It means, honestly, it doesn't mean much. My point is to say... The perception of Luka is he's already top five. At some point, he'll run out of next steps forward to take. But even if he doesn't ever go a step further, he's already good enough to be everything you need. He's already good enough to be league MVP, finals MVP, bringing not one, but multiple championships to your franchise so long as you do what you need to do. Build around him. Put him in positions to succeed. As long as you can do that, the sky is the limit with Luka. I want to see what Dallas can do. Early on, I'm not super encouraged. I'll admit, I'm not encouraged by what they've built around him. They owe him much more. But we'll see with time. We'll see how they do. Anyway, that's it for my time here. I think Dallas will be good. Keep an eye out. Obviously, we'll be talking about it all season long. I'll, I'll say this up front. My, my videos are going to be probably a couple times a week throughout the duration of the first little stretch of the season. Once I graduate mid-December, all that time is going to open up. All of that time is going to open up, and I'm so excited for that. So be on the lookout. We're going to stay tuned in, and we're going to keep you updated on everything. And uh, we'll look to roll out Dallas Prospect 3.0 when that time comes. But until then, that's all my time. Don't forget to like the video, leave a comment below, subscribe to the Dallas Prospect, and until next time, guys, remember, every legend was once a prospect. Peace!